Welcome to Married to Movies. Industry insiders John Russell and Tracy Kring live and work happily in cinematrimony. They're sharing behind-the-scenes adventures of writing, producing, and appreciating films. Good morning, babe. Morning, babe. How you doing? Doing great. We have a uh, gigantic omelet sitting in front of us. <laughs> well, we have some bean sprouts in there. Yes. With some trash salad. Trash salad, bean sprouts, onions. Tomato, pico on the side. We got it going on. I love like raw veggies, like juicy veggies or juicy fruit in the morning. Mm -hmm. It's just so hydrating after yes. like the night. Uh huh. Really, while you sleep, you don't mm -hmm. drink anything. Like, well, for a whole six or eight hours, you're not drinking or eating anything, which is kind of weird through the day. That's an interesting do. thought. You were on a bunch of phone calls yesterday. I was. Yeah. One was a support group, <laughs> and the other was um, I'm part of a book club who is reading The Artist's Way. Mm-hmm. It's a 12-week commitment. Kind of work through reclaiming and unblocking your creativity. Hmm. I went into this, and I didn't necessarily think that I had creative blocks. Mm-hmm. Are you discovering that you did have creative blocks? Well, often people who instead of being creative themselves um, they're like you know scared to or don't think they deserve to or whatever the reasons for not being creative are mm -hmm. they will attach themselves to someone who is creative I was married before you sorry sorry about that that's okay babe what I have found through this process is that that person was a crazy maker. They were very creative, unashamedly creative. Um, they started a band in high school. You know, um, they were always into movies. Mm -hmm. We moved to Nashville in order for them to go to film school. And then I ended up getting really involved and interested, helping with the films that were projects they had to make. Eventually, uh, I guess I was, I, I was feeding off of the creativity for a while mm -hmm. and then I decided that I wanted to be creative and right. at the point where I wanted to be creative I was met with well I'm the filmmaker this is my thing yeah pissing around their space to establish some form of territory. Well, look, if you were if you were in like a, a village, okay, if this were like the 1500s, all of a sudden, right? Like, wouldn't you want more than one person to know how to like shoe a horse? Mm -hmm. Because when that guy gets kicked in the head and dies, nobody knows how to do it anymore. Like, it's just stupid. I attracted myself to a crazy maker, and I think when I've worked with other people, I have heard things like, "I'm the writer." I'm the director. I'm the this or that. And I think that's kind Stop of... Stop talking about my relatives. <laughs> I think that's kind of the telltale sign that you're working with a crazy maker. Somebody who really values their own ego and drama above being creative. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to be creative and... You you have to absolutely get away from them, run for the hills from them. I think one of uh, the greatest uh, scriptures is when Jesus says, greater things shall you do because I go to the Father in heaven. He was not a crazy maker. No, he understood that he was building something and it may, and he's not going to be able to control necessarily what he built. This creation is going to go on. It's going to move on without him. And even... it's, it's okay. Just in general, anyone in your life who thinks that they understand how to live your life better than you do, okay? 
who gives you a bunch of information and gives you a bunch of rules and gives you a bunch of, well, this is the way I would do it without you asking them to do it. Be very, very careful of that. There's a wonderful moment whenever a father teaches their child how to drive because they understand that child is going to drive. That father is not going to be driving them forever. And a good father understands that that son will be his son forever unless he tries to control that son's life and then that and then that relationship gets broken i'm talking about your relatives (laughs) (laughs) sprained not broken and really all that stems from insecurity you know will you love me you know am i the most important thing in your life am i any good you know all of that comes from that. There are basically these things that we tell ourselves. Writing is hard. You say something like that. Really what that is, is that's a defense mechanism. Yes, it's a block. It's a block. You're saying you're trying to defend the fact that you find writing to be difficult sometimes. And also you're trying to make it where, and I hope a whole bunch of other people don't write so that I'm the writer. That way, you know, if they think it's hard, maybe they'll stay out of it. Everybody can write, everybody can create, everybody can write a great song, everybody can write a great poem, okay? Until you prove to me that you can't, you can. You mentioned to me last night, um, Kurt Vonnegut gave like this high school class who had written to him mm-hmm. uh, the advice to like write a six or eight line poem and immediately rip it up into little pieces because they had already received the gift that it had to give. Not everything has to be creativity for monetary purposes. That's I'm capitalism. Like, well, yeah, <laughs> though, that's a different religious system, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. I will have an idea and I won't write it because I think, oh, well, if I wrote it, would I actually make it? Could I option it? Could I sell it? Could I turn it into something that I would make money from? I've changed my thinking on it now. And also how long something has to be because sometimes you start a screenplay and it kind of resolves itself around page 50. Right. And you're just like, oh shit, that's not a movie. Right. Because it's not a short film and it's not a feature. I have, it kind of in my mind, a screenwriting parts yard. If you were a mechanic and you worked on cars a lot, you would have like old engines. You would have a couple of old junkers that had like parts that you would use for the car you were actually working on. It's interesting you bring up uh, a parts yard because I was watching one of those movies that just had slipped through the cracks. Like, I'd seen little pieces of it, but I'd never seen uh, the whole movie. Mad Max, the Road Warrior uh, saga. There's Mad Max, there's the Road Warrior, there's uh, a Thunderdome, and then there's uh, the uh, the last one that had uh, Tom Hardy. Yeah, Fury Road, which had Tom Hardy in it. And they're making another one uh, about Furiosa. It was so interesting to watch that movie because it's incredibly low budget. Sort of like the way James Cameron did Terminator first and it was like the first of that saga but this movie is even even more tight and low budget than that it's an apocalyptic world but it's not like full gone to shit yet you see the elements of what he is going to be doing in this like crazy crazy universe that George Miller is creating one of the Kurt Vonnegut quotes that I really love he says his first rule of writing is find something you care about and write that and I could see that George Miller was really thinking of about this intersection of like when society goes to hell the way 
all the other institutions kind of go to hell with it too. As the biker gang is crazy about sort of debauchery and depravity, the cops are crazy about law and order. But the effect is the same. The cops could be gang members, the gang members could be cops. Wow, that's a really interesting political statement mm -hmm. that he's making there. Mm -hmm. I really do feel like that movie was sort of like his parts. Well, it's nice to have your own parts yard. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, and and fill it with not only like your influences, things you love, things you admire, but start filling it with your own content. And just like if you have that idea, even if it's two lines, even if it's just a good line of dialogue, mm -hmm. throw it in the parts yard because you're going to be sitting there in front of your you know screenplay one day and saying... There's just not a good line. What is a great line here? I need one of those, like, milius lines here. Mm -hmm. I need the doll's eyes. I need the story, you know, about the Indianapolis. The doll's eyes. The dead eyes. You know, <laughs> and, and, like, that's, that's like, I, I love, uh, there was a documentary about John Milius, and it's oh, great. It's incredible, because it's like, yeah. of his friends, anytime any of his friends really had, like, a monologue that had to kick ass, yeah. they would just hire Milius to write it. Absolutely. Coppola hired him. Spielberg hired him. George. Lucas hired him. What, I mean, you know. what an amazing that's like the best moment in Jaws, just about is when you know the Milius monologue happened when he's telling the story about the, the ship that went down. Yeah, yes. I don't think Milius is. I think he was a writer. Oh, first yes. And foremost. Absolutely. And when he tried to do other things, he was just not as good at it. Stanley knew how to flesh out every single one of these characters, and the ones that aren't fleshed out as well are not as good movies. So don't worry so much about plot and don't worry so much about anything. Just start with character. You know, I want to meet this person. I want to have a beer with this person. I want to fear this person. Character is everything. You mentioned earlier something had gotten hard. And that's something that I've been thinking about is about what can you do that you find easy? Mm. Not like what are you good at? It's like something you think about before even what you're good at. Mm-hmm. Because how do you know you're good at it until you've been doing it for a while? It's true. But the first step to finding what you're good at is really what comes easy. Mm -hmm. If you get anxiety when you're sitting down to write, you know, well, I, I would give you the advice, maybe talk it, you know, and, and create a transcript from it and ease your way in there. But if, if something is giving you anxiety and fear mm -hmm. and triggering you, it's not coming easy. Mm -hmm. You really have to think like... Hmm. Should I look for this adjacent to, to <laughs> mm -hmm. whatever that is? If it's like you're cooking the Christmas turkey, right, and you have to get it right, and it's causing you so much anxiety, it's crippling you. Maybe just have somebody else cook the turkey. I mean, I've written songs, but songwriting does not come easily to me, and it it just. It's not that I shouldn't write songs. I mean, I know how to write and I know how to communicate and I understand the concept of it, but it's not like something that is just, it just flows at all. I have to like break down the dams to do that. Thanks to our sponsor, Movie Mode Merch, the graphic t-shirt store to outfit you for your next film set. Be the person wearing the t-shirt everyone asks, hey, where'd you get that shirt? Cast and crew alike love these inside jokes and filmmaking-inspired designs. Check them out on Insta at Movie Mode Merch. 
I remember when I first started editing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is a long time ago. I think this is like 1998 or definitely before the year 2000. Right. Which is a long time ago. I remember sitting down with a computer that I had had put together just to run the specs of Adobe Premiere. Right. And opening the program and just like, man, I had no clue. I just like cracked open the book and it said like, file, <laughs> new, new project. I was from a graphics world. Right. And I knew Photoshop. So I thought this wouldn't be that difficult. But it was not that it was not that it came easy. I remember feeling like this is so involved and complicated that there's probably no way I'm ever going to figure it out. But my experience has proven that's how starting something that you don't know how to do often feels. Mm -hmm. And within probably a few months, if I just commit to putting effort in, mm -hmm. it will eventually be so ingrained and so like just my muscle memory that I will never even think about this first page of file open new project i will never even think about it again there's there's always something that is sort of like this is the thing that you have to overcome if you're actually going to do this thing like when you're playing guitar you're going along and she's like oh i'm g oh i'm d oh i'm e and then f f <laughs> F stands for fuck you and your fingers. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. And if you can get past F, <laughs> then amazing things can happen. But there are a percentage of people who learn the guitar who never get past F. <laughs> uh, most rock and rollers. <laughs> I can edit the hell out of music. And thankfully, you taught me because of your knowledge of music as a bass player and playing music, understanding mm -hmm. it in a way that I can't. You taught me like I would show you like <laughs> an edit and I would have had to trim the music in some way. And you'd be like, oh, wait, you, you can't trim the music there. Like you have to wait for this refrain right. to start its repeat again. Or the, or you have to land on the beat. Yeah, yeah. you have to make sure that you're mad matching it up so the beat still hits in time. Right. And I would just be like, what? <laughs> I mean, like, you were very patient. You stood sure. you stood right next to me and really walked me through the whole thing mm -hmm. and, and taught me that. And now, I, I mean, like, I've scored whole movies yeah. with only found music. Yeah, you're a motherfucker when it comes to the... Uh, editing the music you you kill it yeah <laughs> i've been very lucky too i've been lucky that technical things come easy for me mm -hmm. because there's some things that just don't come easy for me at all mm -hmm. sewing mm -hmm. i can't tell you how much smoke has come out of a sewing machine because i tried to use it and i'm not kidding how do you know what to keep working on once it becomes difficult because not everything is going to be easy for you to start with or is something easy not necessarily mean that you know you can just immediately do it i don't think it means that it's just boom i can edit and not even learn how to use this software i've had so many people come to me and talk about screenwriting their actual stumbling block is not that they don't have a story to tell but honestly this is the truth it is just because they don't know how to format it mm -hmm. right and i don't understand that right the hardest part of writing a screenplay is coming up with the story and the characters and the dialogue and the plotting. That's the hard part. Right, right. The 
software? Who gives a heck? Well, yeah, but like what software do you use? Do you use like Celtix online or do you have to have Final Draft or how do you do the indentations? I'm just like, who gives a fuck? Write it in a fucking notepad on your phone. I don't care. Right. You can pay somebody to do that part. Right. There are people all over the place that know how to do that part, that have the ability, the software. Give them the ability to make a version where they edit some of that down. I'll read something someone's written like that and I'll be like, wait, 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 hold on. We actually need the information about like the room that they're in. Right. You know, they just came into a room and all of a sudden sat down and started talking to someone, but they didn't describe where we were at. It may just say office, interior day. Right. Now all of a sudden, are we in a conference Because, like, you're communicating to the filmmaker what they have to procure. Right. And if you just say office day, that could be a waiting room in an office. That could be anything. And if there's really no context clues where it's taking place, you have to creatively write that into your paragraph. Write the crap. Team up with somebody who can help you format it correctly. You don't need very much either. You know, you don't have to describe, you know, everything and the, you know, the paint on the walls or or whatever. Just a word like shabby will tell somebody exactly what, because they will come up with their version of what shabby is. Unless it's important to you that they are actually seeing what your version of shabby is, you know, because maybe your version of shabby is like shabby chic, okay, where it's purposefully shabby. But... If you told me that it was a shabby office Mm -hmm. and it had a typewriter in it. Yeah. Because the character was a Luddite. Right. That tells me about the character. Mm -hmm. They're going to be confused when they're using their phone. They're going to be confused by technology throughout the script. Right. They're going to uh, appreciate old school things. They might drive an old school car. That just telling me that little piece of information is a huge character development right of what kind of office they have and also whenever you um let's say the production designer hears that it's a shabby office with a typewriter in it but it we know it's the year 2020 well i remember uh i watched the uh, documentary uh, crumb which was probably one of my favorite uh documentaries about the uh the cartoonist and the uh artist crumb and i remember that he had a very specific way of dressing, okay? He had, he, he wore these like very old fashioned hats and uh, and I remember, and for some reason this always stuck with me and he pointed out where he was sitting in a mall and he was, uh, and he was looking around and he pointed out that everybody was wearing the brand of uh, some corporation. Okay. And he said that basically all these people are just like billboards walking around for these for these corporations. Right. And he purposefully almost had an Amish style of dressing because he didn't want to have any brands. He didn't want to have any designs on what he wore. I have to admit that because of that documentary. Really? It was because of that documentary? Because when he said that, it was exactly how I felt. And I have never worn anything above a print uh, like a flower or something in my life since I'm never gonna wear a shirt with Abercrombie on it that's not important to me right like brands and stuff like that no I remember I had you remember when God in the in the late 80s and 90s these Coca-Cola shirts with these huge Coca-Cola logos oh on yeah the front absolutely were popular? yeah and they were so expensive and that was a big investment like for my mom to make for me to have one of those shirts to be cool right and I hated it first First of all, the way that it landed on your body, it just made your tits itch all day. Like, I was like, 
how are these bitches wearing these shirts? This is an uncomfortable as fuck. Right. And I'm just like, what? I'm, I'm. Why am I not getting paid to wear this damn shirt? <laughs> I mean, that was the thing about the '80s. Growing up in the '80s is that everybody had to wear a specific brand. And if you didn't wear that brand, you were bullied. You could get beat up in your school for not having jeans that were expensive enough. You would definitely get called words we don't use in school anymore. Absolutely. Because you had brought up Vonnegut and I read that letter and I suggest like anytime that we do bring things up, like fact check our ass. Sure. Like look it up. Kurt Vonnegut, what what a brilliant and spiritual mind, even though he would probably have called himself an atheist. Well, something I found really interesting and I want to take into my screenwriting um, and also filmmaking brain was uh, there's like these eight things, eight eight pieces of advice he gives. And number five is start as close to the end as possible. That's fascinating to me because... So many times the inciting incident is happening like, you know, later in the script. And and I kind of love it when the inciting incident happens like immediately in the first act of a film, you know? And then they're just trying to figure out how to deal with what has happened the whole time. It, it's much more entertaining to me than like... So what is he saying there? Is he saying that when you start with your idea, start with the end? Or is he saying no. start your story at start- the... L- Basically, like, there's been a whole world of story that has happened up to this point. In uh, Last Night in uh, Mad Max, there's been a whole bunch of shit that has happened that has gotten us up to this point in the movie. We don't even know, nor do we care. We don't know why society has turned chaotic and, and what has happened. And it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't make any difference. This is where we're at now. And I love that feeling of just being dumped in a story. The Lord of the Rings basically starts with basically two other stories that have already happened. And then we're at the end of the story. It's really interesting now the way people are like, oh, well, we want to do a prequel. We want to explain everything. We want to go all the way. So we're going to go back to the Rings of Power, like when the rings were created. And that, and it's missing something, isn't it? Because it's missing that sense of Finality. Yeah, but, yes. but also, yeah, tension and yes. mystery. Because you of, know exactly where it's going. Yeah, you do. Although I do love love Rings of Power. I, I, I Well, just because I want to live in that world. You do? Well, no, not really live in that world. I just want to, oh, you want to, I want to be entertained that by that world. Yes. <laughs> okay, because I was like, no, no, no. are you a LARPer? No, no, no. Are no, you telling nobody me you're LARPing? No, 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 no. We no. do live right next door to the, the biggest Renaissance festival. Festival in all of okay. the United States. Fine, fine, fine. I have five pairs of tights in my uh, closet. I admit it. I've come out, folks. No, no. Anyway, I I thought that was interesting, and uh, and also one other thing, and I find myself doing this. I'm really glad to hear a confirmation from someone like Vonnegut. Number seven is right to please just one person. Is that person yourself? No. I mean, he says if you open a window and make love to the world, so to speak, your story will get pneumonia. Oh, wow. Man, that's brilliant. 
But I often find myself... Like trying to think about the broad audience. No. Trying to think about the one person who I think is the audience member. Right. And would that person enjoy this or follow this or, you know, understand where I'm going? And and really, I tend to... I do tend to just write for one person and it's not, it's not myself. Well, I actually, I think about it as, is this something that I'm going to enjoy? And if I'm going to enjoy it, there are enough of me out there that it will find an audience. The thing about my taste is I would not want to try to write to appeal to me. Mm. I would not. And honestly, some of my movies don't appeal to me because I'm not the audience of them. I'm not writing them or making them to be my entertainment. I'm writing them for a totally other audience. Interesting. And like, you know, there's several of my films and and I I love them for the fact that I was able to do them or certain elements of them, but they're just not the kind of movie I would watch. Mhm. And that's fine. Right. I think I'm I'm fine with that. Some people think that's really weird. It's like I have to be No, I am writing this for those people. Right. For that person. Right. To, that means something to a totally other person. Than- right. That's a very interesting uh, idea though. If you open your win- the window to make love to the world, your story will get pneumonia. That's brilliantly said. I mean, you know, that's writing, folks. Right there, that I, I have a visual description of storytelling right there. And Kurt Vonnegut just gave it to me. Yeah. He actually has a whole book that you can read on creative writing or stylistic, you know, creative writing. And of course, you know, Stephen King on writing. But I That's the Bible. In the blink of an eye, um, the way that he edits and the way that he follows the eye line of the characters brought a whole new element of um, not only shooting movies but editing movies for me because I connect now a lot more to what my character is looking at and seeing and it just kind of like gives you a little window into their mind without saying anything Mm -hmm. which is really cool to be able to kind of manipulate especially like if it's a tense scene there was this whole segment in uh, Mad Max Max that it was just like all about like what's going to happen to Mad Max's wife they built the tension it was forever no but okay (laughs) so the juxtaposition of like them being happy and having a baby and being like so happy as this little family and then we kind of the the montage slows down and we're just kind of like on the farm with them and she's going swimming right and she walks a really long way to go swimming like through this forest and you're just like this is not good that's good so then she like lay she goes into the water and she comes out and she's laying you know and the camera's like on her in this like very kind of voyeuristic way where it's like somebody's coming something's um, happening she's getting raped she yeah exactly it's like you're waiting for her to get raped and killed yeah that's what you're waiting as but the then audience she for. like she's chased through the woods we make it back to the farm we make it back inside you know mad max has gone out into the woods to see who was following her and then just when she's starting to relax the tension 
It's just a great sequence of tension. It almost doesn't even feel like it belongs in this movie. No, I know. It's so separate. Yeah, it's almost like uh, all of a sudden there's an Alfred Hitchcock movie in the middle of uh, the Mad Max movie. And sometimes this happens to me in, in an edit. I don't start at the beginning. I start with a scene I really want to cut. You know, like I'll, I'll sync all the footage, but then I'll be like, you know, the scene I'm really jazzed to edit is mm-hmm. this scene. And it feels like... Like, if I were editing that Mad Max, that would be the scene I would have been really jazzed to edit. And I would have kind of overdeveloped it. Well, we've talked about uh, just between you and me, which is like the eating your vegetables. That's what you call it. That's what he calls it to me. Like, that I want to do all of the scenes that I want to edit first, and then I leave my vegetables to the end. So they're cold and they're mushy cold on the plate. And, and you can't leave the table. vegetables. Yeah. That's right. You're not going to be able to watch TV until you eat your vegetables, Tracy. I know. And, and I do. I absolutely do that. But a lot of times they're like connective tissue scenes. They're not, you know, or maybe sometimes, you know, I save like a really emotional thing. If I'm going through something, I may save a super emotional thing because I'll cry the whole time I'm editing it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And sometimes I I just can't go there yet. Well, I think that... uh... Kurt Vonnegut is always somebody that we can return to. I'm going to have to look and find out what those uh, other things are. I'm constantly looking for inspiration and input from the universe at all times. I want it. My antenna are up. And you're always looking for weird, too. Always looking for weird. Looking for the weird, looking for input. So, folks, if you can give us any weird or give us any input or even better, give us weird input, reach out to us because we're always looking for it. It's hard not to get romantic about movies. Thanks for listening to Married to Movies. John and Tracy will meet you for breakfast tomorrow. Thanks to our sponsor, Movie Mode Merch. Comfortable graphic tees made by and for awesome filmmakers to wear on set and off. Check them out on Insta at Movie Mode Merch. Mm-hmm.